0: The statistic Garton published two years back was that by 2025, 65% of new applications will be created on low-code platforms. And later they revised that number to 75%. We feel that that number will will only increase as we move towards it. Instead of 75%, it could potentially be 80, somewhere between 80 and 90%. Hi, this is Gautam Namagadam, and this is my new code skill.
1: Hello No-Code Nation, I'm Ayush and you're listening to my No-Code Story. The only No-Code podcast focused on real people and their authentic stories. Welcome to the future of the indie movement, where creators, freelancers, automators and founders build products all without writing a single line of code. If you have a business idea and you're just learning about No-Code Tech, This is the best companion podcast for your journey. Learn from some of the best minds in no code. Let's go. Before we get started, I have a small favor to ask. If you like what you hear on today's episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps more people benefit from the pod and lets me know that we're on the right track. Now onto the show. All right, Gautam, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you. And we don't quite often get guests that can talk in depth about Enterprise No-Code and the various business applications of this movement that we're seeing. And I know that's kind of your core competence and that's an area of focus for you and your company. So I'm really excited to talk about Quixi and talk about your personal story as well. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you, Aish, for having me here. Absolutely. So let's get into it. Uh, I want to start by talking about enterprises and how they use no code and then maybe focus on your journey building Quixie and so on as well. Um, If you look at most major enterprises, there are various business processes that kind of exponentially scale along with the size of the organization. And a lot of teams aren't really prepared for that, right? I've experienced this firsthand where if you're working at a company that has grown from, say, 100 people strong to 500 then to 1000 then to 2000 to support that growth you're just scrambling to hire but at the same time you're also scrambling to keep all the people that you hired trained and um, and acting as effectively as they did on day 1 when you were a small team of 10 so how do you see no code kind of interweaving its way into empowering organizations and first of all do you come across these challenges with with your customers as well as you interact with them on a day-to-day basis Yes, this is
0: a very common problem um, that we come across. I, so um, and my hypothesis on this is that uh, every organization, when it starts off small, there is a lot of individual decisions, person-based decisions that are made. Uh, but as the organization uh, grows, and if the organization needs to continue to grow at a healthy rate, the number of individuals that need to be managed, right? So you need to bring level of uh, consistency. In uh, the in the decisions that are being taken by the organization, and therefore the individual uh, decisions that are taken have to be kind of, you know, have to be driven by process, and and the scale automatically brings in more and more processes, and the more complex the business gets, the level of processes also become very complex. Uh, this is where uh, the you know disparity between the level of automation and the number of processes that an organization follows uh, increases. This is the classic uh, story that you see in most organizations. So uh, now, how does no code play a role? Um, more, and all organizations evolve uh, naturally or, or sometimes inorganically when they acquire somebody. Um, they You know, it, it is a part of an evaluation process. There is no set metric that somebody has to follow A, B, C, D, E processes only. So as per the business conditions, they evolve, and so their requirements and their processes are kind of unique to their own organization at a certain level, and a, a no-code uh, platform allows them to build the solutions that they want at a speed that they uh, that they've never seen before, because the level of processes are, you know, and like I said, the disparity is very high. And uh, the ability to customize those solutions to their specific needs is where the power
1: of good comes in. And when we were talking earlier, you brought up a really interesting statistic that I didn't know. So uh, tell us about automation in the enterprise when it pertains to software and just knowledge workers in general. Because we all know that, you know, uh, with the Industrial Revolution and everything that has happened and all of these Tesla bots in their factories, we know that there's automation in sort of manufacturing and all these other uh, production yeah. type yeah. environments, and that's really helped um, uh, help these industries scale. But talk to us about automation in knowledge work and how you envision the future as you're scaling Quixie.
0: Yeah, so in, in year 2022, um, we would all expect the level of process or workflow automation um, to be, you know, quite high in in businesses across the world, um, especially in the West. Uh, which has, which has taken up technology, uh, from a much earlier age. Um, but surprisingly when a survey was done by one of the leading advisory firms of the world, uh, the level of automation is 20%, um, which is quite surprising, which, which shows that the organizations are, uh, you know, probably even though they are scaling and growing at a breakneck speed, um, they're probably not able to build solutions as fast as they want to digitally um, uh, empower their own uh, users. Um, And, you know, this surprising uh, statistic also puts the spotlight on the opportunity, on the amount of automation that can be brought in, and therefore the level of efficiency, innovation, and um, um, also the employee uh, morale uh, goes very high when, you know, you, you are able to do a better job at it. So a no-code platform also kind of becomes like a form of expression of ideas to automate and, uh, you know, bring in the citizen developer
1: uh, as a practice into each business. Yeah. So, well, for me personally, that stat was really surprising because 20% seems really low, especially in this day and age where you're just maybe a small developer team away from automating most, you know, knowledge processes. But still, I think the people component is really the uh, the X factor, right? So that's what keeps things um, moving and keeps things changing. And it's this ever evolving environment that's really hard to, hard to scale in. Uh, t- tell us about what you experience when you hear stories from your customers. Because I can envision being an individual contributor or someone that is running a small team or part of a small team, building custom processes, using a tool like Quixi for my team. But do you see that happen more often or do you see organizations come to you saying, hey, we need to empower all of our teams and have like a, a custom no-code solution that is tailored to our needs or flexible enough for our needs that our teams can pick up and basically use to create their own tools across the entire organization and I have a follow-up question after that, but l- let me kind of hear your experience first on what you see in the market today.
0: So, um, like maybe about two years back, um, the most common request that we would come across and see was that smaller teams would want to automate their processes. Uh, but over the last uh, year or so, and we've continuously seen that, uh, it's moved away from smaller teams to our departments, our divisions, right. and then also organizations. Uh, now, we, are, we have customers where they want to buy a platform and then build a citizen developer program in their organization and uh, build solutions on top of it, not just for today's current pain point, but also as a digital strategy for their organization for the next uh, uh, you know five to 10 years.
1: Right. So, um, so it's lot utility that, yeah, yeah, exactly. And do you feel like this has been sort of accelerated by the pandemic um, in in some ways like I've seen no code adoption in the on the consumer side of things um it really accelerate in the past six to eight months. Are you seeing something similar on the enterprise side as well?
0: Uh, absolutely. I think past six to eight months we we've seen a lot of acceleration. Um, but I, I, you know, coming back to your question on that specifically on pandemic, I wouldn't call it acceleration, but I think it was more of a trigger point uh, where a lot of people realized that they have to do something, and then there was some initial knee-jerk reaction of automating uh, some uh, immediate burning issues or right. immediate uh, solutions that were required at that point. But the real acceleration, like you
1: pointed out, has actually started in the last six to eight months. Yeah. So as you've been building Quixie and scaling the team, how how big's the team right now and uh what what are you focusing on as you scale the no-code adoption for the enterprise? Um so we are about 190 now. Um and and
0: we are about eighty to ninety percent remote team, uh, mostly based out of India. Um from a, you know from day one. Quixi has always focused on uh, product design and innovation in technology. Um, that is our core strength. So, uh, but we've also coupled that with, with a strong customer success team, because, um, you know, when we are building a platform, the level of adoption of the platform is also very important. It is very important that, um, our customers, uh, sees the initial uh, set of successes. For them to be able to bring in the momentum in their organization to continue, um, using a platform like Pixie, and automating more and more. Um, so coming back to our innovation, right? So, uh, and design, uh, that was almost like our uh, fundamental uh, um, reason why, or fundamental thesis as to why or how we built Pixie. So we had uh, when we explored the market, we had seen some solutions which were uh, to one extreme that is very easy to build, no code, uh, solutions, but very, uh, limited in that capability. So you could build very simple workflows or simple forms, right? Um, but then we, again, we saw some very, very powerful, uh, mm. platforms where you'll be able to build very, very complex solutions, but then it, the citizen developer is, is out of the window Now you have to become like a professional in this particular tra- platform almost like, you know, instead of learning a programming language, you kind of have to learn how to use this uh, platform, like in an old, wine, new bottle kind of a situation. So we thought that if you're able to bring in a a great mix of this uh, technology and uh, intuitive design, where we'll be able to build complex solutions, but still be very simple to use. Uh, That has been the fundamental uh, differentiator and thesis for Pixie. And we continue to uh, follow that path.
1: That's great to hear, uh, especially because I feel like a lot of the solutions that that feel they can be adopted by an enterprise at scale, even like end-user applications, I'm not even talking about no-code applications, even end-user applications for point solutions or complex business mm-hmm. processes, they all end up getting this inflection point where they start getting adopted and then the there's a balance that the team needs to have between the complexity of the functionality that they develop and the number of people that they hope to reach. And I feel like with no-code solutions, teams can build custom solutions for the requirement that's at hand very quickly. And and that requirement kind of really helps customers in the long run. And and maybe you could get away with a small core center of excellence type team that is just churning out best practices on Quixie, for example, for the rest of the company, and you have like a person that owns the product for each company and so on. So that's that's really fascinating to hear as you're as you're looking to scale uh, the organization. Um, tell me a little bit about... Go ahead. Yeah, I was
0: just So low-code allows somebody to uh, iterate, experiment, get feedback, and you get better at a much faster rate, which you would normally not be able to do that with the, you know, point solution that you've mentioned, right? And this is where each organization's level of, uh, or rate at which a solution is adopted is different. And therefore they can run the experiments within their own organization, understand, get feedback and, and pace their
1: uh, uh, deployment accordingly. Yeah. So as you've been hiring at Quixie, you told me that it's a, it's a team of about 190 right now, mostly based in India. I've had other founders from India, um, on the podcast. And uh, I remember one interview in particular with a company called Stackby that was uh, based, I think, in Surat, in in Gujarat. And uh, he was talking about, uh, the the founder, Rachid Khador, he was talking about how easy or how how hard it's been, first of all, to hire during COVID, but also how easy it has been to hire remotely. Whereas previously, you know, you would get into this um, environment where you're balancing maybe hiring from a major city because all the talent's there versus, Mm -hmm. you know, also supporting people during the pandemic. Now they could, because they're fully distributed, they can take advantage of potentially better talent and resources that are available in cities that they wouldn't have hired from because their their locations weren't in those cities. Have you experienced that? And if so, to what extent and how has that impacted your growth trajectory as a company?
0: So at the beginning of the pandemic, it was Mm -hmm. uh, uh, not so hard to hack. The hard to hire has been over the last, uh, I think a year, six months to right. a year. Um, uh, but the process of hiring, um, remotely has been quite smooth. Um, thankfully we were, even before the pandemic started, uh, our, our, in most of our processes were digital and our communication also was, was, uh, digital. Um, uh, we were about, uh, 20, 25 member, uh, team back then. Uh, right about when the pandemic started, uh, but as, as a culture, as a DNA, our organization, we were, we, we were digital first, which kind of, uh, allowed us to be able to move to pandemic in terms of our own operations quite smoothly. It was more of a shock of what's happening in the world, but, uh, otherwise as a process for our organization, uh, whether it was recruitment or any other process, it was quite smooth. The, and, and we've been growing quite rapidly, uh, ever since. Um, Though, you know, there's been a little bit of a talent crunch over the last, uh, you know, six months to a year uh, because of uh, my hypothesis is because of the, um, you know, drastic growth in in the capital markets. So there is a, whether it is venture capital or or, uh, the stock markets. um, So a lot of money is being uh, um, spent on talent, which has created a lot of competition. So what we've done is we've used a mixed strategy where we are bringing in uh, blue ocean talent, right? So where these are, this is not talent that is already trained ready, but we we create a pipeline and then we continuously keep hiring from that pipeline. But we also um, um, go out and uh, hire talented individuals from um, the market who are already experienced or who are having the particular skill set, you know, skill set that we want.
1: Okay. And how has that been working out in terms of maintaining the company culture and um, just being agile and nimble uh, as, you're, as you're building the organization, right? So growing from even 50 to like 200 almost uh, isn't trivial for, for someone that has been there from day one, right? Uh, you start to see the scale manifest itself. So how have you you've been treating culture and all those surrounding uh, topics? So that's, that's something that I spend uh, at
0: least 50 to 20% of my time every week, um, working on people and culture. Um, one thing that we've done is, um, we, we have a set of core values as an organization, and we ensure that these core values are reiterated, um, through gamification, um. Uh, in the entire organization where each uh, uh, team member recognizes their other team member for the core values that that they uh, present. And so that's, that's one of the things that we do, uh, but also what's most important is that in every meeting, or not every, in many meetings or many team discussions, we bring up, uh, are we doing what we want to do? Whatever decisions that we are taking in this particular discussion, is it aligned with, um, as an organization. So this, these core values kind of provide us that, um, broad framework where we bring cohesion among all the team members. So even though we are working remotely and we probably never met a lot of people, um, uh, you know, we'd still be, we are still able to work in, in, a in a coherent manner, if I may say that
1: towards the same vision. So as you think about, um, Customers and how they've adopted Quixi. Um, I read a lot of success stories on your website that were really powerful, uh, especially the one about reducing turnaround time and improve, improving business process efficiency. Um, tell us, was there like one particular customer story that really comes to mind um, as, as a North Star that others need to aspire to? Like if a company has not adopted any no-code technology and some of the companies listening to this podcast right now um, what is that ideal state that they could achieve with no code tools that you've seen other customers achieve? Um, so uh, we've seen
0: a pattern, uh, uh, instead of one customer, right? So I'll, I'll, tell you a pattern that I've seen across our successful, most successful customers. Um, so every, each of these, uh, customers, they, they did not take a no code platform and said that, okay, here is the big no code platform. Now, let us all set plan for the next six months and figure out what to build, right? Nobody started with a huge, uh, you know, digital strategy plan for the next five years and so and so forth. They might have a strategy, but an executable plan, they started off with uh, with a small pilot. And once that pilot got successful, they iterated and figured out how is the organization responding to a new technology? How are the different teams responding to Uh, One digital uh, adoption and two digital creation, which is the solution creation. So uh, once they start, once they started getting feedback, they've kind of built a process, a culture around that no code uh, philosophy and then started scaling it across their organization. Mm -hmm. So these are the organizations that we've um, found to be more successful with uh, in a much clearer uh, change management, if I may say that within their organization, um, and also uh, the level of production of those solutions, though it might be slower at the beginning, but uh, after this initial feedback
1: period, uh, takes off. And uh, when when that takes off within the organization, uh, you're probably coming in with some best practice type strategies to help the customers scale. And uh, I think that's that's a really smart way for any company to go about it. Is test it out because one of the biggest aha moments with applying no code in the enterprise is the level of data that you get from field resources, right? Because you're really enabling them to put that data in yeah. in a very quick and efficient manner, and then at the back end, you're then able to crunch the numbers with all of that data and make really good decisions uh, on on the back of real-time data, pretty much. Um, And for the audience, I mean, typically enterprise SaaS solutions have that three to five-year cycle, right, where you typically buy a license for three to five years. And there's a whole year-long sales cycle that goes into uh, purchasing these where the company's planning resources and a strategy for implementation and rollouts and so on. So it's nice to hear you contrast that with how you've seen no code tools being implemented as well in the workforce. Um, I'd like to get into a little bit about your personal story. So before Quixie, what were you working on and what led you to, to found Quixie in the first place?
0: So this is a um, question I love answering. So, uh, Quixi kind of, st- uh, you know, the, idea of Quixie was born out of frustration. Um, so I was, I was working as a CEO of a a service company. Um, so we used to um, build bespoke solutions or, uh, we had two products in niche areas, which would require a lot of customization from uh, one customer to another because the nature of business is quite different. So even though we had a product, we would never be able to go and just, you know, configure it in a couple of weeks and move to the next customer. So during this process, we would go to, you know, we would have these large teams um, uh, ranging from business analysts to domain experts, to software engineers, to, testing teams, then implementation training, and, you know, the, the whole stack. The business analysts and the domain experts would actually go to the customer side, do the requirement analysis, do the gap analysis, and they would think, that they know what the customer needs, and they would write it down. And these document, as you know, would go to the next level of uh, the software cycle, where the software engineers start working on these uh, requirements. And at the end of like six months, a year, year and a half, depending upon the size of the project, we would go back to the customer and say that hey, this you know, we worked very hard. We want. We know we understood your requirements and this is how the solution looks. And you know, to our utter disappointment, the customer would rarely say, Hey, this is awesome. We, you know, we love what you built. It were most, the most common response we would get is you guys built, okay. You guys built into a certain level, but all of this other part is not what I asked for. And then we realized that it was because of our lack of understanding of either the domain nuances or the lack of uh, conversion of those requirements into a written document, or somewhere in the cycle, it is lost in translation between the engineering team or the testing team and so on and so forth. And, and then you go through these uh, uh, cycles of frustration, loss of energy, time, money, everything. And I found that but I am in this business to bring delight to customers, but I'm not able to do it. So when we you know, sat down and try to figure out what is causing and how can we solve this problem, we realized that if we are able to bridge the skill gap, if the domain users or the business users or the customer, if they are able to build the solution and if they're able to build it at a much rapid uh, pace, as against a year or so, if they're able to build it in two weeks or a month, then you will be able to cut across all of these uh, um, roadblocks and um, challenges that we're seeing. So that kind of led to the birth of uh, Quixi, Uh, the idea to, or the motivation to build Quixi. And, and then thereafter, you know, the team was built and
1: yeah it's fascinating to hear you describe that story because I I've, I've actually felt that personally uh, in in past roles that I've had in various organizations working as part of customer teams and then seeing them kind of uh, almost lose trust in the solution to a certain extent because either the timeline didn't match what they were what they were expecting so the the golden window was kind of uh, it's done or um, you build a set of requirements that they didn't request or that weren't interpreted as they were passed down the chain and and so on and so forth. Um, And this really allows you to circumvent all of that and uh, get to customers with a quick solution. Um, As you were describing that, I was kind of wondering if you were seeing any adoption by consultants, like business consultants, um, that prescribe these solutions. Because a lot of the past endeavors that I've seen uh, consulting firms take in general has been, how do we, create lead-behinds for customers, right? How do we productize the solution that we're prescribing and then make sure that the customer implements it so the value to the customer is actually what we envision it's gonna be at the outset. Do you see that happening in practice with no-code tech? Because it, it seems like it it should really be able to bridge the gap pretty seamlessly. It's,
0: it's actually quite a natural fit uh, for consultants. Um, the level of adoption, is, is only a beginning to uh, increase now. So the, uh, because the no code market is quite new, uh, people are still figuring out which are the mature platforms that they can suggest on which. So the experimentation phase is going on, but a lot of consultants, so we, we speak with a lot of consultants, uh, every week, uh, who are trying to figure out what would be the right platform or the right solution right. for them to suggest their customers. So, no-code platforms, I would like to believe that is now kind of one of the um, important technologies that consulting firms are looking at to be able to empower their
1: customers. Yeah, and um, I I think as you're also looking to scale Quixie, we've seen, at least I've observed a pattern as I've seen some of these large no-code companies that are focused on consumers right now, uh, but these companies have scaled from like very few, maybe hundreds of users, to now several thousand uh, users. And the pattern that I've seen is that they've all developed an ecosystem of experts and some kind of a community around them. And more importantly, they've tried to highlight these experts, right? So they've um, uh, these could be agencies that exclusively use a particular tool like Bubble or or Webflow. These could be individual freelancers that are looking to you know get their first project. Um, How are you thinking about that aspect of uh, scaling Quixi? Because uh, I would anticipate you could come up with like a layer of essentially evangelists that use Quixi and deliver solutions and are able to generate a revenue stream from that as well.
0: And so from a community point of view, we believe that uh, it will be a very important layer of value that um, whether it is um, the consultants or the individuals, or the partner companies, or the customers themselves will get out of it. So there will be a lot of knowledge exchange within that community, which uh, is is incredibly helpful to everybody in the community. So we we have recognized the importance of that community and we are uh, uh, consciously building a community for Quixi as well. Uh, from a, a ability to bring uh, evangelists on, onto uh, Quixie so we are still in the process of bringing um, that level of maturity where we are adding more and more partners. And once the success stories continue to uh, add up, is when we want to bring in an evangelism, um, in, I wouldn't call it a program, but a more recognized evangelism uh, process where um, in not just the specifics of the platform or the platform licenses, or not from a revenue point of view, uh, but more from um, how, what value a customer gets or what
1: value an organization gets by using the no-code platform. That, so for someone new that's uh, just come to the no-code space, right? that's just maybe discovered their first no-code tool, they have a lot of business or functional knowledge. Uh, what is your perspective on where the space is going in the next five to 10 years and what should they as first order of business, kind of get comfortable with technology-wise or business process-wise. What should they focus on if they're just, uh, you know, coming into the space and then uh, hoping to use no-code tools to then translate their knowledge into some kind of a functional product?
0: I think um, it is important to understand not just the, from a technology choosing the right platform, but also it's it's important to understand to first set the expectations. So, um, like I said where we've seen most successful customers are the ones who, uh, iterate and experiment in the initial phases to, uh, basically figure out how their organization is adopting or how their organization is reacting to such a, a technology or methodology. So, uh, any no code creator, even if he's a, a individual freelancer and not part of an organization, he should, Use that opportunity to uh, to create iterative solutions and test it out on his target market. If it is if he's part of a business, then he'll test it out within his organization. Um, if he is a freelancer trying to create a consumer app, then he should test it out in the target market. And uh, creating a clear hypothesis of what changes you are making and what is the expected output and what is the actual output and understanding why there is a variance, right? So doing this study in the initial phases, I think is critical. And based on that, the level of success and adoption of
1: you no-code know, uh, platforms uh, will happen either with that particular individual or uh, within the Now that's, that's great advice. And, um, as you're, you're obviously in the thick of things with no-code technology in general, how do you see the technology, uh, progress in the next few years and where has it come in the last like? Six months to a year, because I I understand there's been a rapid increase in the types of things that we've been able to accomplish with no code uh, just in the past year alone. Have you noticed that? And where do you see the next few years? Um, So
0: uh, imagine uh, just three years back when I um, uttered the term no code, I was kind of almost warned by by analysts saying that you should you should not use the term no code. Okay. You, right. You should at best use the term low code. Right. You should not use no code. But, you know, fast forward now, everybody want, you know, uh, you know wants to use the terminology no code because it's easier to understand how people get what, what you mean by no code. Um, you know, that is from a marketing uh, point of view and the kind of buzz no code has created over the last three years. But, uh, from an adoption point of view the statistic i think gatway published uh two years back was that in you know, other by 2025 65% of new applications will be created on local platforms in 2025. Yeah. and yeah. later they revised that number to 75% wow we feel, we feel that that number will will only increase as we move towards it instead of 75%, it potentially be 80, somewhere between 80 and 90%. Um, and no-code will also evolve in its capability, uh, which means that not just automating workflow uh, and process-based solutions, but also any digital solutions, uh, no-code will become the preferred methodology of creating new solutions. So because once uh, somebody tastes the power of no-code, right, you would want to bring that paradigm in all digital uh, solutions.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Um, just perspective on where the space is going, and I think your your product is kind of reflecting that as well. Um, be it the six-column layout but that you could use to organize things just to look like look and feel like a web app, but with a little bit more structure, or the workflow builder that you could then use to you know uh, seamlessly connect processes and and make it visual for someone. I think all those things are uh, are are just building blocks in anyone's journey to build like really powerful solutions using no code technology. Um, Gautam, I had a ton of fun talking to you today, and it was a pleasure getting to know you a little bit as well. Um, I wish you and the team phenomenal success as you continue to scale Quixie. And uh, thanks once again for being on the show. Why don't you give our team, uh, our our audience rather, a handoff to where they can learn more about Quixie, maybe learn more about you. And if they have questions or want to reach out, how do they reach you? So I'm
0: most active on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me on uh, linkedin.com slash M-A-T-U-A-G-N. So that's my profile, or you can search by Gautam Nimagada, my full name: G A U T A M N I M M A G A D D A. I'm pretty sure I'm the only guy with that name, so you'll find me there. Okay. Um, and and thank you so much, Ayush, for having me on the show. It was it was a pleasure talking to you. And those were some pretty interesting questions that you asked. And I'm so happy that you asked those questions. That I was able to share uh, what my thoughts are with uh, with with your yeah. audience. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. All right. That was the show. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed it and got a ton out of it. If you did, there are two things you need to do. Number one, make sure you subscribe to the show to get notified when a new no-code story drops. And number two, I want to ask you a favor. Who's the one person you know? Who would absolutely benefit from hearing this story. Text them right now and send them to mynocodestory.com and reference this episode. Maybe they're an entrepreneur. Maybe they can use this episode to level up at their job. Or maybe they're just someone who loves creating new things. Do it. Subscribe and then send them the text. Make a difference. Thanks again. And I'll see you on the next one.